Welcome to Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North. This is episode 97, the African Nations Cup quarterfinals, and it's minnows, the Gambia, Burkina Faso, and the Equatorial Guinea. Amazing. What a tournament this has been so far. Honestly, there have been so many great storylines, amazing goals, pretty good games. Yes, there have been some duds here and again. Some got ugly. Upsets, Cinderella stories, it's been fantastic. And as we lead up to this quarterfinal stage, the build-up to the end is only intensifying. It's only getting a little bit better and gathering momentum. So I expect a grand finale. I hope we get one. To what has been really an excellent competition, all right? The round 16 was very interesting because the Cinderella stories, I mean, they just continued. It just kept on going. We had one surprise after another, and it's been going on since the group stage, which has really been fantastic to watch. I did a little focus nation on one of the minnows, who the minnow of the tournament, really, in my opinion, which was the Comoros Islands. That was a few episodes ago. And if you want a little bit of an understanding of why African Nations Cup can be so interesting is you learn more about a place, you learn more about a nation, a history, a football history. All of this is great. It helps all of us get a little more connected. That's the whole point. Um, Now, the Comoros Islands just bowed out to Cameroon. And to see them get this far in a tournament where nothing was expected of them was incredible. But they're not the only ones. So the Gambia, Burkina Faso, and Equatorial Guinea have all survived to this quarterfinal stage. They made it past the round of 16, got out of the group stage. So I wanted to do a little profile on each of those teams because in reality, we don't know much about them. And judging by their records, if you don't pay attention to African Cup of Nations, you may never really know anything about these teams or these countries for that matter, unless you're a geography buff like I kind of am. So let's talk about them. Um, As I said, I profiled the Comoros Islands in a previous episode, episode 95. Go ahead and check that out. It's a nice little short little bio on the country and and where they're at. And they, like I said, they're an amazing run. They finished third in their group with Ghana, Morocco, and Gabon. And to get out of that in third place was huge because they lost their first two games. They were beaten 1-0 by Gabon. They lost 2-0 to Morocco. And then... To get out of the group phase, they had to beat Ghana on the final day, which they did. They won 3-2. Yes, a little bit of help from the referee. Ghana were down to 10 men. Comoros had a 2-0 lead. They blew it and then were able to win 3-2 late on. But after this, they were just decimated with injuries and COVID. So their goalkeeper gets injured during the game. Andre Ayew puts in a challenge that was a ball he had every right to go for, in my opinion, He kind of got a little bit of the goalkeeper with his studs. They've been very, very serious about anything where your cleats land on someone, like you're gone. That's what we've seen in this tournament so far. So their goalkeeper gets injured. Andrea gets red carded. The red card really helped them get through, but now they're down a goalkeeper. Then the COVID cases come in, and they had something like 12 positives. So you're thinking about it mathematically with a 25-man squad. That's literally half the team, Uh, which included the other two goalkeepers. So basically they had to put left back Chaker Aladur in goal. And um, he's, he's a left back. He's, his number is three. But did they bring a number three goalkeeper shirt to the tournament? No. So this guy has a number three taped 
in blue electrician's tape on his back. Youth soccer style. I mean, this was it was incredible to see at, at this high of a level. And look, I, this has nothing to do with, oh, well, this tiny team, look, they can't even print a jersey overnight. It's that because of COVID, like teams just have to think on the fly and make decisions and change stuff just out of nowhere, which can be really, really challenging. Um, look, he had an incredible performance. He made four key saves, you know, and I think three of them were with his feet. So just one of those amazing things. I think when you see the first goal, you can see that, oh, this guy's not very tall, is he? He's like five foot six because he can't really cover the goal. And Toka Okambi's finish in the corner isn't like really in the corner. You're thinking a goalkeeper that knows where to position themselves, cut off angles, and is also tall enough would save that. But the goal did look huge when he was standing in it, which was kind of funny. On top of that, the second goal that Cameroon scored, uh, Vincent Boubacar comes right in, gets in on goal, does brilliantly to get himself facing uh, the goalkeeper and, and, and head on. And he's about eight, nine yards out, coming in at an angle. And Alador comes out, and there's a, there's a freeze frame you can find out there of him with his hands behind his back as he's approaching the ball because he's a defender. He doesn't want to give up a penalty, but he's forgetting that he should make his make himself as big as possible and try and do the best he can to save a ball. Now, if you put me in goal, I am going to make myself as tiny as possible to not get the ball smashed into me, right? That's the instinct that you have. You just want to cut off the most likely route. So Vincent Abubakar gets through, is able to do like a step over and just touch it by him. And you're thinking, oh, well, this is going to be the difference today because Andre Onana had to make... Quite a few saves. Comoros were, even though they were down to 10 men after just six minutes, once again with one of these fouls where, look, I thought it was pretty harsh. I know that when you look at the freeze frames, you're like, he's off. But it looks like he tries to stab for the ball between the legs, and then on his next step, he just lands on the guy's ankle. I didn't think it was a direct red, especially six minutes into the game. The level of intent in that seemed nil to me it just seemed you know being a little bit aggressive and clumsy but to me that's not a red card of course the way the rules have been interpreted in this tournament they have been pretty consistent on if you step on someone you're gone as I said so they go up 2-0 and you're thinking this game's done but then late on Yusuf Mchangama scores an outrageous free kick we're talking Juninho from Lyon back in the early 2000s um, Andrea Pirlo, like we're talking that kind of style, right? Where it's just a knuckleball bomb from a long way out. I mean, Cameroon set up like a one-man wall. They're like, yeah, go for it. <laughs> Shoot, we'll see if you can beat our goalie from there. And boy, did he. I mean, this the ball, I think, at its highest point was like seven or eight feet over the bar and just dropped. So stunning goal. So far for me, goal of the tournament. And for them to have made the last five, six minutes – against the hosts who have to be the favorites at this point and make them sweat for that last few minutes. That was really, really incredible, especially down a man. I mean, phenomenal, amazing story that the Comoros had. And, you know, in my opinion, also they win best kit in the tournament. Take a look at that green and the, the green one and the white one. They're both absolutely spectacular. Be sure I will be getting one of those. I mean, I, I'm, I'm dead set. 
Um, so, but uh, despite their story being great, it doesn't end there. Let's talk about the Gambia, the Scorpions, uh, ranked 150th in the world by FIFA, still unbeaten in this competition against after they got wins against Mauritania, Tunisia, Guinea, and they drew with Mali. So that's really impressive already. Um, the funny thing is, look up the Gambia on a map. All right, it'll surprise you. It went, I studied abroad in Senegal for three months in January of the before my senior year of, of uh, high school, of college. Sorry, and when I was in Senegal, you know, taking a look at a map of the area and everything, I was like, "This is so bizarre. What on earth is the Gambia doing inside Senegal?" So, it if you look at it, it's a country that is just thirty miles wide at its widest point. And it stretches for about 200 miles east to west. And like I said, it's completely inside Senegal. So when you look at a map of West Africa, you'll see Senegal, which looks kind of like the head of like a cat or like a lion or something like that. And then you'll see what looks like its tongue. That's the Gambia. All right. So a little bit of a little bit of history on the Gambia just just for fun. So why is it called the Gambia and not Gambia? Well, it was a English colony that has a very important river, the Gambia River. And the, the British had control of this land where the river was. The French had control of everything around it, which was Senegal. Now, the Gambia was considered like the Gambia Company, like the Gambia Republic, because it was just an asset for the English for so, so long. And it, again, if you look at a map, you'll see it's blue <laughs> where the river is. There is the land around it, pretty much 15, 20 miles to the north and south. And then everything else around, which is Senegal, is basically desert, dry desert. So the English cornered this spot. It was you know, their pride and joy in that region for quite some time. A lot dictated the country's history over the last 500 years. does look beautiful, though, from the pictures, so I, 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 I would love to see it. So they will face Cameroon in the quarterfinals as massive underdogs, but keep in mind, this is the Gambia's first time in this competition, and what a road it's been. I mean, the thing is, looking at their history, it's incredible how many times they've either withdrawn from qualifying withdrawn from a competition or been banned. Um, and this this is for a number of reasons which are not very easy to find. I've been trying to research and and it it doesn't really seem that clear a lot of the reasons why. But I will keep looking. So anyway, look, they they have an incredible setup right now in the sense that there are no superstars and they're managing to win games not just by being ugly and gritty, but by also coming with a whole ton of personality in the way they play, which, look, that's key. That's key for any minnow. So they're going to be really exciting. I think that tie is going to be interesting. But look, Cameroon, to me, they're the favorites. They're the host nation. They've got Vincent Bouca, who, who has, I think, uh, six or seven goals now in the competition. Toko Kambi has been scoring as well. So Senegal, I mean, sorry, Cameroon have everything it really takes to to just deal with the Gambia. But... As we've seen in this competition, nothing is a given, not at all. So let's move on to the next one, Burkina Faso. I I found this to be amazing because most of this information for me was was new. Um, they're called les étalons, 
which is French for the Stallions. I mean, all, all these African teams have brilliant, you know, mascot nicknames. It's it's great. They're actually ranked 60th in the world by FIFA. Um, they have never been to the World Cup. Gambia neither. Uh, but they have been mainstays in the African Cup of Nations since about 1996. Before then, they had only qualified one time. And since then, they've only failed to qualify in 2006, 2008, and 2019. Uh, they've been runners-up uh, the, in the South Africa 2013 tournament, beaten only 1-0 by Nigeria in the final. They've been third and fourth as well. So, look, they do have a decent history in this competition. And... They lost to Cameroon 2-1 in the opener. They beat Cape Verde 1-0. And then in their final group game against Ethiopia, they drew 1-1 before moving on and eliminating Gabon in penalties after a 1-1 draw. So, look, they're tough to beat, but they don't score that many goals. The two names that most people will recognize from this side are Bertrand Traore, who plays for Aston Villa, Used to be uh, played for a little while at Lyon, Ajax, but really was put on the map by Chelsea a few years back. And uh, I think it was Mourinho's second stint at the club. The other one is uh, Edmund Tapsoba. He plays for Bayer Leverkusen as one of their starting defenders. Other than that, not really any big names, nothing else to, to really call out. And so even though they only have those two, this is a well-drilled squad with a couple important good players. So... There's a huge story on our hands here. Now I want to talk about Burkina Faso as a country and give you just a few interesting facts. So if you don't know where it is, it is on the west coast of Africa. Well, not on the coast. It's on the west side of Africa. It borders the Ivory Coast, Ghana, Togo, and Benin is to the north of those. And it's just south of Mali. So why is it called Burkina Faso? Well, first, what you have to understand is the original name was the... Up, Republic of the Upper Volta. And the reason why is there is Lake Volta, which is in Benin. And if you go to the north, follow the river north, you end up in Burkina Faso. And its previous name was the Republic of the Upper Volta, so the upper part of the Volta River and Lake. This was a French territory until 1960, something that, that these the 60s are a really common decade for a lot of these countries gaining their independence from the European co- uh, colonialists. And they became Burkina Faso in 1984. Now, what does Burkina Faso mean? It means land of incorruptible people, incorruptible or upright or honest. Um, you know, when you're translating from different languages, these words become the same but slightly different but yeah land of upright people that's it's 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 a nice really nice goal and and um an ethos to have as something that you build your society off of right of course stability is it's hard to come by in a lot of these countries that have been through so much especially right now during the competition and this is crazy but i don't if you haven't heard about this on january 24th president roche cabore was ousted in a military coup, all right, and the military was led by Paul Henri Sandaogo d'Amiba. He dissolved Parliament, the government, and the Constitution three, like four days ago. I mean, this is this is nuts that this is happening while the players are on the field. So, yes, okay, they're professionals; they're going to do the job on the pitch and everything. But then, imagine what it's like when they get off the field and they have to like talk to their families and people and see like what is going on how how is this all helping them is this banding them together 
I think you can imagine them continuing hard and trying to make a run as we uh, approach the semifinal. We'll see. I want to close off with Equatorial Guinea as the 114th FIFA-ranked team. They've never been to the World Cup either, and they've only been to AFCON in 2012 and 2015. That's it before this. So names that people might know, Pedro Obiang, for any uh, English football watchers who played for West Ham for quite a while, quite a number of years recently. Other than that, not many names to come by. Um, they eked by Mali to win on penalties after a nil-nil draw and a very long, pretty wild shootout, actually. It ended 7-6. Uh, Pablo Ganet for Equatorial Guinea had a chance on the fifth penalty to wrap it up and win it, even though they missed their first one. He misses his fifth. Now we go to sudden death penalties. They end up winning 7-6. Wild scenes, of course. Mali was a team that many people had as dark horses to, to go far. But this is a great achievement for them. Don't forget, they also beat Algeria, the previous holders, with Riyad Mahrez. Like, the, that team is out. And a huge reason why was that loss to Equatorial Guinea. Look, as, as most countries in Africa, they, well, like I said, gained independence in the 60s. It was actually 68 to be precise. And where they are is interesting. They're sandwiched between Cameroon to the north and Gabon to the south. Now, Cameroon and Gabon are big, geographically large, large countries with a, with a huge square mileage. Equatorial Guinea, not so much. It is a comprised of three parts right there is a small little rectangle it's right on the equator uh right right above sorry just below the equator it's a little tiny rectangle on the mainland on the coast and two islands there's a stretch of four islands that are in this gulf right and they have the island at the bottom which is basically just a small rock volcano the two islands in the middle are Sao Tome and Principe. Those belong to Portugal and are actually really popular tourist spots for a lot of Europeans. Then there is the most northern island called Bioko. And Bioko is where their capital is. It, the capital is called Malabo. And it's located on the far northeastern part of the island. It's actually like just 50 miles from Cameroon. And it's like I think 150 miles from Equatorial Guinea's mainland. So a little bit bizarre there. Here's the crazy thing about the capital. It's currently being moved. So working with the Portuguese Studio for Architecture and Urbanism, uh, the FAT, a.k.a. Future Architecture Thinking, they're literally building a brand new city. It's, it's incredible. It's called Ciudad de la Paz. And it is planned to have about 200,000 inhabitants. And they're building it from the ground up. Right? The climate and location... Are good, so that was largely the reason why. But it's it's a it's just an incredible situation. They've got huge amounts of money coming in from China, Brazil, North Korea, and Poland specifically, and, and obviously some other countries to render an entire infrastructure. You know, six lane highways going in and out, things like luxury hotels, golf courses, universities, uh, shopping strips. Everything is being planned and built as we speak. They started construction in 2015. They were saying that they should be done in 2020, 2021. COVID hit and slowed everything down. So they're still in the process. But the idea is to completely move the capital city. I mean, in that's an incredible thing, right? To move your capital city, what, 60 years into being a country. But it makes a lot of sense. 
and to to actually have it on the mainland somewhere where you, you can kind of get a certain level of safety and because the the regions around you never know what's going to happen. I mean, the Congo is very close, and and that's in a state of conflict and has been for a while. So it, it's it's been incredible. Look, they're going to face Senegal in their quarterfinal match, who may be without Sadio Mane due to concussion. So who knows if they can pull it off. Senegal have been far from impressive, but they haven't really been pushed to the limit by anybody. And who knows? They could turn it on and be great. Or Equatorial Guinea could cause a massive disruption by upsetting them in this 2022 edition. Look, all three of these teams, they may go out this round. That's very, very possible, right? But I have a hunch at least one is going to find a way through. And the most important thing from this is how much can you learn about these teams, right? These these players who they come together for a tournament that, you know, until this year I've never seen it covered and talked about anywhere near as much. And guys from, say, Burkina Faso, people are now talking to them and asking them questions. People from a footballing perspective are saying, oh, my goodness, there's a military coup happening in your country. Uh, how does this make you feel? And and this is where you start seeing stories like back in 2006 when the Ivory Coast had a civil war going on. When the team qualified for the World Cup, the players asked, can we please put things on hold? And the government basically declared that everyone have a giant ceasefire during the World Cup. So don't underestimate the power of football in that sense. And also think about what you can learn from it. I mean, I learned a ton of stuff just by being like, I need to know more about Burkina Faso. I need to know more about Equatorial Guinea. Why is the Gambia called the Gambia, not just Gambia? Look, to me, these are really fun questions. But A, it's excellent bar trivia for anyone and get to know the beautiful game. This is how we all get connected. This is how we stay together and build positive stories. So thanks so much for stopping by. I hope you enjoyed this small edition. Going to keep up with some of this uh, World Cup qualifying going on. The United States team won 1-0 at home against El Salvador last night. Played pretty well, I thought. Tough game. I got to say, though, the craziest game yesterday had to have been Ecuador against Brazil. Not sure what your opinion is on that, but it was kind of a Conmembol classic. Just wild and crazy things just kept happening. The officiating was, uh, in a way, a central part of the game, but also... The play was really, really good from both teams, high intensity, and the finish. I mean, Ecuador thought that that having equalized 1-1, they thought they were going to get a penalty in stoppage time when Allison came and punched one of their forwards in the side of the head. But after multiple VAR reviews, they see that he touched the ball first. I don't know. I'm not so sure about that one. I think Ecuador got a little bit screwed, but we'll see. We continue with uh, the World Cup qualifying this week, and... AFCON quarterfinals will start tomorrow. So keep in tune and root for one of these small guys. Come on. It'd be so much fun to see someone like this in the semifinal, right? Thanks so much for stopping by. This is Campfire Football. I'm Sebastian North.